Good evening, friends. It is great to worship with you. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go to, to Romans chapter 8. We've been looking into this passage for the last couple of weeks, and I'll, I'll kind of recap a little bit. But I want you to think, have you ever had a, a moment? And I'm not talking like a moment, like right before you puke or something like that. I'm talking about like a... <laughs> a moment that was kind of life-giving, maybe challenging to you, just there was something kind of awe-inspiring moment, so to speak. Maybe it has been out in nature, and you're just, you're just kind of awed by who God is and just creation in general and just, just unbelievable power of God. Maybe I don't know what it was for you. I remember a distinct moment for me was when, um, when Taylor, my son, was born. And I remember sitting there holding him there in the hospital just a few hours after this whole giant ordeal. I'll spare you that. Um, and I remember holding him, and just in, that, in the stillness and in the quiet of that moment, I knew my life was changing forever. And not just like for challenges that would await, because there, there is that. If you're a parent, you understand that. But there was something about that moment that I knew was changing for me. I knew it was going to be life-altering for me, not just for him and not just for my daughters after those moments, too, when they were born. But there was something very significant going on, and I really can't even put it into words. If you're a parent, I think you get it. If you're not a parent, then maybe you don't get it yet. But it's this notion, something very, very profound. Because here's what I know about Taylor. That's his identity. And in that moment... Us naming him, you know, we used to, we all name our kids, you've been named, okay, you've been given a name, maybe you don't like your name, I don't know, I'm sorry about that, but um, you've been given a name, and in that moment, that name is your identity. You have done nothing in this world other than cry, poop, and pee, okay? <laughs> there, there's nothing of value that you have brought through the relationship that's now being stirred and created and, and, and forged in that moment but you are incredibly valuable. I remember feeling that as a dad. It's just like, I would, I, would, I would move heaven and earth for this young one that I've only known for a few hours, but I would do anything in this planet for him. And he's done nothing to add value or to, to it's not like he can go buy me dinner, it's not like he can cook me. It's just, it was just his identity. And in Romans chapter 8, often in life, we, we struggle with identity because the older we get, we end up going to conferences, or we meet new people. How many of you are extroverts? You'll actually raise your hand. The rest of you are introverts. You won't play. Um, but, you know, extroverts, you, you have no problem meeting people. Here's what happens, though. When you go to meet new people, you, you pull out your name tag and you put it on. You're like, hi, I'm Jack. That's my name. And now what used to be my identity wrapped up in my name has now gone to a whole nother level, hasn't it? Hi, my name is Jack, or maybe I meet you. Hi, Bob. How are you, Bob? And what's the very next question? What do you do? Right? And so the very next question is something about your activity. And pretty soon in our culture, your identity becomes wrapped up in your activity. And who you are has become what you do. In essence, if we just kind of cut through it, we, we kind of all do that. Now, is that wrong? Well, no. But look, here's the point. If your identity uh, becomes your activity and that becomes your primary identity, that's a really scary place, isn't it? Because what happens when you're the realtor of the year 
and the next year the market tanks. Are you less valuable now as a person because your identity has been rocked a little bit? Or you're the business exec and your business deal goes south. And all of a sudden, what you've wrapped your entire identity around, or maybe you're staring at the next decade of your life and you're going, wow, I'm now moving from my 20s to my 30s or moving to my 40s or to my 50s. And you've spent your entire life worried about beauty and you're starting to notice these lines in your face and your forehead and you're starting to say my identity of beauty of what, who I've defined myself to be has now become questionable because here's what you read in Proverbs, beauty is fading for all of us. Look at your neighbor and say, your beauty is fading. <laughs> but you're still beautiful right now. You know, the truth is we, we can wrap ourselves up in so many different things. Even parents, you can get to the place where your children become your identity. And here's the weird thing. You had an identity before they got here. And here's the scary thing. You'll have an identity after they leave the house too. So don't lose your identity of who you are. Don't let it get wrapped up into your activity. And often throughout the scriptures, Paul specifically, a lot in his letters, because he wrote so much of the New Testament, spends a lot of the, the early part of his letters kind of driving home a point. It's almost like he has this cadence of remember who you are. Remember who you are. Don't, don't allow your activity to become your identity. You have to let your activity ride shotgun in life. It will define you. Your activity will, it has to, it will have influence in you, but don't make it the primary foundation of what you build your identity on. Your identity can't be just what I do. It's got to be something more than that. And so Paul, over and over in his letters, is saying, I, I need you to remember who you are. And friends, really, in essence, that's what we're looking into in Romans chapter 8, is helping us remember who we are as a follower of God. Now, you may be here, and you can't, you got drug here to, to church, to Element City, and we are so honored to have you here. Like, I know it takes courage coming to a new place, and you may be on a spiritual journey, and you're not quite this whole God thing, you're still trying to figure it out, and I am super stoked you're here. In fact, I hope that you'll come back and you'll actually put some roots down and, and, and find this is a place where you could wrestle with your faith and you don't have to be part of the convinced to belong here. But I hope for, the, for those of us who call Jesus our Savior and our Lord, who are following after him, I hope that we hear tonight uh, maybe a new word. Remember, we've been looking at these words that are spoken over us in Romans chapter 8 and we looked at the, the very first word, you're freed. Remember that? Two weeks ago, we said, hey, you're freed. You don't have to live under this condemnation anymore. Now, listen, consequences are a part of life, true? We all live under the weight of those. But the truth is, we don't have to live under the weight, the crushing weight of condemnation that I can never earn my way to God. That's what Paul's saying. Thanks be to Jesus. He's my rescuer. And he's saved me. He's brought me out of this weight and shame and guilt and brokenness of my life. I don't have to work my way to God. God actually worked his way to me. And he said, you're now freed. Remember verse 1 of chapter 8? There's no longer, there, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been looking at some key verses we want to begin to put back in our mind because that's our true identity. We're freed. Our past can be a part of our story. It can, it can humble us, but it doesn't have to haunt us. And so we live with this idea of freedom, that we are freed, and we don't have to be held back any longer. This last week, we looked at this idea of being empowered, 
that you and I are empowered as followers of Jesus Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit of God and that we don't live an exhausted life. We live the empowered life because it's not just about your effort. It's now the Spirit living within you. In fact, over 350 times the Spirit is talked about in the Scriptures. You and I are tapped in as we stay connected. That's what we looked at last week. Stay connected to this empowered life. God filling you to live the kind of life that he's rescued and called you and created you to be. That the religious pursuit of perfection is exhausting in your own effort. But the grace of God is life-giving and empowering for your everyday life. As you stay connected to the Holy Spirit and say, God, I need you today. Every day. I need you to fill me and empower me. That I can live this empowered life. Life. See, your identity, who you are, matters. And that's what Paul's driving home. He's saying, friends, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You're freed. You're empowered. And tonight's word that I want us to look into is you're adopted. You have been adopted into the family of God. And friends, that changed everything. You're adopted. Your identity is no longer just about you or your performance or your effort or the lack thereof, your faults, your failures, who you're connected to and who you can hobnob with and who you know and who you can relate to in this world. You are now a child of the king. You're adopted. And that should change how we see the world. That changes how we face struggles. That changes how we encounter our everyday life. You've been grafted in. I love uh, Brennan Manning um, is a great author. Uh, he wrote a book called Abba's Child that I've read in junior high, uh, high school age and, and uh, was just really life-giving for me. Uh, great book. He wrote Ragmuffin Gospel. Uh, Brennan just passed away just a, a week or so ago. And anything you can read from him, I would encourage you to read. I just want you to, to hear this quote. This is what he's talking about identity. He says, look, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. You are the beloved. The scriptures say that and they echo that over and over. You are the beloved. You're the child. You've been adopted into God's family. This is your true self. Every other identity is illusion. That's a powerful word right there. And I think so often, whether you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years or 30 minutes, it's so easy in our culture to allow your activity to become your identity. And I think what Paul is saying here is remember who you are. Friends, remember who you are. Because it empowers you, it changes, you're empowered. You're freed, you're adopted. So can we look at the verses for tonight in Romans chapter eight? I'm just gonna read the whole set of verses here. It's verses 14 through 17, and uh, verse 15 is the one I want you to kind of maybe let rattle around in your brain this week. Here's what it says, verses 14 through 17, Romans chapter 8, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not re receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. 
We are adopted into the family of God. We are brought into intimate connection and relational connection with him. We're adopted. So you've not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. That's what the law was. The law of you trying to earn your way to God, that's what sin is so, so destructive. Because in, in a way, we almost feel like, okay, if I can conquer that sin, then I'll work my way to God. And yet it, it's saying, oh, you become this fearful slave because you realize you can't do it. But now you are no longer that. You've received God's spirit when he's adopted you as your kids, and you get to cry out, Abba, Father. Listen, here's the point. When your view of God goes from this deity to your heavenly daddy, you have taken a giant step in your spiritual journey. When it goes from this deity who could be distant or distracted, disengaged from your life, who maybe saved you, but that was it, when it goes from its deity, this view of God as deity, to your heavenly daddy, you've made huge progress. And here's the truth. It always wants to drift back because we're broken and we do things that hurt our daddy. And, and in some ways, it's not removing the sovereignty of God. God is completely sovereign. He is above you. He is not like you. He's not like me. But when the scriptures say over and over, you're now an adopted child of God, there comes some incredible beauty in that if we lean into it. Because friends, that's your identity. And Paul would say, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Whether you've been walking with God for 30 years or 30 minutes, don't lose sight of who you are. You've been adopted. Now, often we can read a passage like this and we go, okay, those are nice English words, and that's a nice biblical concept. But tonight, I want you to just to kind of waddle around a little bit in the emotional side of what that means. What does it mean to be adopted as a child of the king? There's a, a Greek play called Oedipus Rex, and it sounds like Tyrannosaurus Rex, and that's awesome. Um, but there's this play that was actually way back in the four or 500 BC uh, that talked about this king and this, this queen, and um, th they were given this oracle that said, hey, your son who's going to be born to you is actually going to really, really mess up your family. And so a, a Greek play, people would go to this theater, they would see this, they would know the backstory of this is that this king and queen, when their son was born, this king took his son's feet and pinned them together, walked outside of the kingdom and dropped his son off and left him. Well, a shepherd finds his son, unpins his feet, just Oedipus means, you know, kind of uh, bloated feet or kind of swollen feet type thing and he's raised by this other king and it goes into this whole Greek play of destruction and all this kind of stuff and see as readers like I hear that story and I go that's sick like that's wrong right everyone in this goes no that's wrong kids matter right and but you see you have to read it from a first century standpoint kids didn't have rights like you and I have rights or like kids have rights today and so a good Bible student always, as you're studying the scriptures, you have to remember what was it like back then. And so Paul's writing to people who understood this idea of abandonment was normal. In fact, in the Roman culture, I don't know if you know this or not, but a baby born was set at the father's feet. 
And if the father picked up that kid, whether it's a son or a daughter, and embraced it, that means that child was allowed and accepted into the family. But if that father chose not to pick up that son or daughter and walked away, that child was abandoned. They didn't believe in killing the kids. They would take them out to the marketplace and drop them off and just leave them. It was up to their culture, this idea that, well, it's up to the gods to determine their fate. And so some people might come along and adopt, in a way, not usually adopt, just kind of have that child and raise that child a little bit to, to maybe be a slave or to be a prostitute, to earn them money. And so that, that child became property, really. The truth is that still happens today, doesn't it? In fact, statistics say that there's more slavery going on today than ever before in the history of the planet. 27 million people who don't have their voice, who their identity is their activity, and it's activity that other people make them do. And in this culture, you have to understand, Paul is speaking to these people who understand abandonment. Now, let me ask you a really honest question. Is that not one of the things that our culture struggles with? Sure, we don't abandon kids in the marketplace. You're not going to find a kid at Target left there. But listen, our culture, we abandon people left and right, don't we? If they don't make the cut, we leave them behind. Some of you work with some of the kids who you've seen abandoned emotionally, left to the side, walked over, stepped around, left behind in the wake of whatever brokenness that that family has endured and is in, caught up in the cycle of brokenness, and you work with them. You see that. And abandonment is a destructive force very much in our culture today, isn't it? And so Paul's writing to this culture that understands abandonment, and I think he's writing the same to us today. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. And I think he'd say this, remember whose you are. See, your, your history, your story isn't defined by who left you out or who threw you out. Your story is now caught up in this incredible, beautiful, majestic story of who found you and brought you in. Paul would say, friends, you're adopted. You have been brought in. God recognized you. He saw you. He picked you out. He picked you up, and he brought you home with him. That's the beauty of being adopted by this, this king, of being brought into being home. You're no longer just thrown out. You have been picked up, picked out, and brought home by the creator of the heavens and the earth. You have come home. And maybe you understand that because you understand abandonment. You understand uh, this notion of being dumped, this idea of being cast aside, maybe in small ways, maybe in, in big ways. Maybe that's marked you more than it should. Maybe it's just wounded you in a little bit. And maybe tonight Paul is saying to you, Remember who you are and remember whose you are. 
You're adopted into the family of God. And that's not just a nice, pithy statement. That's actually a life-changing reality that comes with these rights, that you are heirs, you are co-heirs with Christ, that everything the Father has available. What did the, what did the Father say to the prodigal son? Every, to, the, to the eldest son who was arguing, everything I have is yours. Jesus is driving home this point that you have now this relationship with the Father and you are welcomed in his presence. I never make my kids take a number. In fact, if we're ever in conversation and my kids call me on the phone, I will stop talking to you. Not because I don't love you, but because I want their identity to know that they are mine, period. My activity will not influence their identity. And I want them to know that. That's a great rule of thumb for you parents. Do do your kids ever feel like they have to take a number? Now listen, I'm not a perfect parent. I get this wrong sometimes. But I do my best because I want my kids to know that their identity is a shoal. They're related to me. They're connected to me. They don't have to take a number. They don't have to wait in line. They are allowed full access to me any time they need it and want it. Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Remember this in Hebrews chapter 4? We have this great high priest he's speaking of. For we not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but who understands. And then it says this, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with what? with confidence. Let us come before the throne of grace, before God, not with cowardness, but with confidence. I don't have to cower before God. I can come confidently into his presence. He is the creator and sustainer of everything I am not, but he is my heavenly daddy. And I get to come before him with anything and everything on my plate because my daddy is interested in me. That's life-changing. See, when God goes from this deity to this heavenly daddy, it's huge. Now listen, what Paul is saying here, verse 15 again. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't say something about fathers here. Because here's the reality of what I know that's in this room. Many of you, when you hear the word father, you hear the word daddy, that's a really broken, hurtful image for you. And as one of the pastors here, I would, I would simply say this to you. I am so Sorry, that's not a good image for you. I really am. It should not be that way. It was never designed to be that way. But I know the reality is for some of you to hear the word God is my daddy or God is my father is just, well, Jack, you don't understand my dad. I want nothing to do with that kind of God. And I would say to you is God wants you Nothing to do with that either. In fact, I think he may want to do some repair work in your heart and your life tonight and this week and in the weeks to come. Because Abba, Father, 
This notion of, of Abba is this notion in, in Hebrew, literally, of daddy. That's why when Jesus is praying, remember? When the disciples are saying, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like you pray? Now, did they pray? Well, yeah, they grew up praying. It wasn't like prayer was a foreign thing, but they noticed something in the way Jesus was praying. And what did Jesus start with? Our Father in heaven. And he used the Hebrew word there, Abba, our daddy in heaven. And there was something about the way he prayed that they said, we, we don't understand that kind of prayer. And Jesus is saying, no, this is about an intimate, relational, strong connection with someone who is for you. In fact, he'll camp on that later in Romans chapter 8. This is a heavenly daddy who is not distant but dialed in to you. Not a, not a daddy who is, who is aloof, but one who is present with you, who is actually in your corner, who cares about you, who knows you, who understands you, who created you, fashioned you, and has plans for you. He is a good daddy. And for some of you, my hope and my prayer for you tonight is that maybe you go on a journey where you just allow the scriptures to begin to repair and reframe this idea of what is God being a spiritual heavenly daddy really mean? I don't have to cower in fear, the text is saying. I get to come before him confidently. I don't have to be fearful. I get to be confident coming before him. Now, he is not like me. He is God. He's set apart. But I get to come before my heavenly father. We've been adopted. Now, some of you may hear the word sonship, and that's an interesting word that Paul uses there. He doesn't say sons and daughters. And for some of you ladies, that may bug you. Um, but can I teach you why that's, that shouldn't bug you? Why that's actually an incredible reality of what Paul's teaching here? He doesn't say sons and daughters because, remember, we have to remember what it's like in the first century world. In the first century world, do women have many rights? No. So do daughters have rights? No. If you're the firstborn son, you have incredible rights. In fact, you have incredible privileges that are going to be passed on to you. But if you're just a daughter, that's how they would see you. You're just a daughter. But here's what Paul's saying. It's an amazing truth. You have been adopted, men and women. You have been adopted as God's son. And what he's saying there very specifically is you no longer are just second class. You're no longer just less than. You are now adopted into the full height of everything that the firstborn son receives from his, from his daddy. What Paul's teaching here is an amazing reality. That's why he goes on and says you're heirs with God, you're co-heirs with Christ. You have privileges as God's son as God's child. You've been adopted into this beautiful reality and this beautiful relationship. And I want you just to whisper something. And maybe this will feel weird to you, but I just want you to whisper three words. He adopted me. You ready? He adopted me. Say it again. He adopted me. And this week, here's the challenge. Verse 15. I'd love for you to, to kind of wrestle with a little bit, maybe recite it once a, a day, put it on your mirror, whatever that might be. But maybe just at certain times, just allow yourself to go, he adopted me. 
and allow your life to be filled with awe. Of, that's an amazing reality. Because adoption is when you're hand-picked. It's when you're seen and you've been picked up, picked out, and brought home. It's this incredible truth that you have all these rights. And I could keep teaching about that, but I'd actually rather show you that. And so I have some dear friends that um, had the privilege to kind of be on a journey with them as they went through adoption. And so this last week, Dan and I got to go spend some time with them and just kind of capture their story a little bit. So I'd love for you to see that, to kind of hear their story and kind of be brought into their family a little bit of, uh, of Colton and Kinsey, Craig and Jen, and just this idea of, 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 of noticing the, the reality of what adoption truly means and to hear their story. And then I'll, I'll share a couple things. We'll move on with worship. So here's their story. Hi, I'm Greg Hoffman. I'm Jen Hoffman. And this, and this is, is Kinsey. Kinsey. Say hi, Kinsey. Hey. Hi. So just to start off and tell you a little bit about how we got into the adoption process and, and where it started for us. Um, it's been kind of a long process, something that started um, kind of back in 08. We had a, a personal tragedy and that we lost a, a son to congenital defects. And it kind of hit us hard. We, uh, we kind of got away from things for a while. Um, came back about 2012, 11, 12, started kind of thinking about how we could complete our family, how we could add to it, um, knowing that <clears throat> having a, a normal child wasn't going to be an option. Uh, so we started looking at different ways to, to do it, looked at straight adoption. Uh, we, f we finally talked to a friend of mine who'd gotten in the foster care system. So we started off in the classes, went through um, kind of a, a lengthy process of learning about the foster care system, eventually got licensed and started out and uh, we initially had put in paperwork to bring Kinsey into our family and were denied. And so things kind of, we figured we were just going to be moving on from there looking for another baby. And then we get a call back later saying the family that originally was going to take her wasn't going to take her now. So it was pretty clear to us at that point that God was, was bringing us this little girl and she was going to be a part of our family. And it all kind of culminated in this wonderful adoption in the park where we got to actually bring her into our family. Yeah, we had her for about nine months before we got to adopt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty neat. We all gathered <clears throat> at Udall Park. There was just hundreds of families there um, celebrating adoptions, taking us into Ramadas. And uh, we did, we met with a judge under a Ramada in kind of a picnic atmosphere, and we ended up adopting Kinsey that day. Kinsey's not her original name, she had a different name, but she's getting a new beginning, a new start with us. And so... So we named her Kinsey Harlow Hoffman. Yes. <laughs> Going through the adoption process and something that God has really led us to do, I think he's opened up our hearts and he's allowed us to kind of see the way that he sees us. And I feel like, you know, especially you know, me as a father looking at, at my new daughter, I kind of am getting a glimpse into the idea of what God means when he says that he's adopting us into his sonship, into his family. 
And it just kind of brings a whole new perspective of, you know, somebody who's been through a lot, somebody who's been through troubled times, through hard times, who's not clean, who's full of sin, yet we can love them unconditionally without any reservations whatsoever. Well, and just knowing that she's come from where she's come from and, you know, we love her just like God loves us and she's, you know, had a rough life and he takes us in no matter where we've been or what we've done or who we've been with, he takes us in exactly the way we are. It doesn't matter what we've done or who we've been with. He loves us just the way that we love her and he's kind of showing us that, you know, it doesn't matter what's in anybody's past, that they're more than welcome to be a part of his life. One of the big struggles that Kenzie's had is just kind of, uh, she struggles with issues from her previous mom, from her birth mom, and so she's projected some of that onto to Jen, and so she hasn't always shown the love to Jen that she shows to other people, and I know that that is really hard for Jen and that hurts Jen, but in a way that's also kind of paralleling what happens with God and that, you know, we're always doing things that are hurting God and we're, we're sinning, we're disappointing Him, yet He's always coming back to us and showing that love. He's and I've been, I've been very proud of my wife and that she still does show that love towards Kinsey, that unconditional love that you know over time is just going to draw her in and just go, wow, well, even, even when things were this rough and I wasn't showing her any love, she still showed that love to me. Which is the exact same way it is with God. It doesn't matter, you know, anything. If you have your bad days and you curse Him and you hate Him and you're everything, He's still there the next day. He's still right there to pick you up. And He's going to love you no matter what and whatever you're doing. And I think it's just knowing that He's there for me when I have those tough times with her that I'm able to get through it and I'm able to give her the love that I know she's never had which is what, you know, we get from God no matter where we've been. We get the same love, so. Yeah, it's been a pretty amazing journey. It's, it's definitely taught us a lot. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's shown us how God loves us, and it's just opened up a whole new avenue for us. Um, I, I look at the, the new name that we gave her and the new beginning that she's got, you know, and it's kind of like, God, you know, we give our lives to Him and it's all made new. You know, we're baptized, we come out of that water, a new person with new beginnings. You know, she's got her new name, her new beginning, new hopes and dreams and things that she could have never had before. Can you say, I'm Kenzie? Kenzie. There you go. Good job. I love what Greg was saying there is she got a new name in a new beginning, and a new start. Isn't that the gospel? That you and I get a new name. We get a new beginning. We get a new start. Because we get adopted into the family of God. There was this first grade teacher who's teaching about adoption in her class, and kids are going kind of crazy trying to learn about it, and one of the kids raises her hand and says, I, I know what adoption is. I'm adopted. My mom taught me it's, it's, when, it's when the kid grows in your heart and not in your tummy. And I thought, that's the gospel. It's, 
It's when we, despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion, have a heavenly daddy who says, I choose you. I pick you out, I pick you up, and I'm gonna bring you home. And I'm gonna give you a new name and a new start and a new beginning. And friends, when God goes from this distant deity to your heavenly daddy, that changes everything. And so may you this week even begin to take a next step in your relationship with your heavenly daddy. And maybe you're here. And you know, this whole idea of of starting a relationship with Jesus, I, I would simply throw this out to you. That that relationship with Jesus, what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter eight, is that that is something that is a gift that's available to anyone who would take it. And maybe tonight even, you're just sensing in your heart, God's saying, look, I have a gift for you. You can be adopted into my family, become my child, that your past doesn't have to define you. You don't have to live in the brokenness of that name and that identity. Your activity doesn't have to be your identity. You can have a new identity and a new name and a new start. And so I just invite you to consider that. And if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk with you or talk to the friend that brought you. Um, as we continue on in, in worship, we're gonna lean into a couple more songs into a moment of, of communion. If you're new, uh, we take communion every week and there's uh, communion stations around the room when we remember, we remember the gospel, we remember Jesus who, who came and lived this perfect life and who made a sacrifice on the cross on your behalf and on my behalf because we needed him to. We needed rescued. We needed a God who said, you don't have to work your way to me. I'm gonna actually come to you and I'm gonna give you a gift of an opportunity to be freed and to be empowered and to be adopted into my family, to have a new name and a new start. And so we remember the sacrifice that he did on the cross of his death and his burial and even more importantly, his resurrection that proved he is who he says he is and that we are safe in his hands and safe being a part of his family. And so this week, I would love for you to wrestle with that and just step into your identity. And maybe is what Paul would say, is remember who you are, friends. Remember whose you are. You are adopted. You are a child of the king. You've been brought and bought and brought into, handpicked, picked up, and brought home into relationship with him. And so, Father, as we lean into communion and uh, we worship with a couple last songs here, Father, for some of us, this whole notion of you as a heavenly daddy and a father, God, we just need your spirit to do some repair work because that's not a good image for some of us. So I pray that you would bring some release tonight. Father, for many of us, we know this intellectually, but we struggle to live this out relationally with you. So would you stir us to take steps with you in that? That the Hoffman story of of picking Kinsey. God, you pick us. We worship you. We wanna be changed in your presence tonight.